I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor. Um, we're going to look into God's word, and it's relevant. I mean, this series is stories that define us, and um, the stories that define us, some of them are inherited. Um, some of them are produced in us because of trauma and abuse. Um, Sometimes we don't know what to do and we do stupid things and we conclude stupid things and untrue things and it can deform and make us horrific. Um, our identities are, are made up of the stories that we believe. Um, stories about ourselves, about others, stories about the world and what's wrong with it. Um, even stories about God can have negative effect on us. Because um, a lot of our stories either don't include God um, or they include a God who's waiting for us to fix ourselves. Um, like God is waiting for us to make our lives right before he'll love us. And when we have a God like this, we feel disconnected because that God is disappointed until we do something. That God doesn't want a, us around until we've done enough. Until um, we fixed ourselves. And so God becomes like a slave master waiting impatiently and disappointedly for us to fix ourselves. Um, this week I had a meeting with a couple. Um, and this couple has been defined by a story of God that's kind of like this. Um, and from our meeting, they said this to me. They said, um, there has been one thing missing in our journey um, we hadn't fully understood or fully appreciated this one thing until we heard the gospel at Harbor Church. Um, we were so touched by the gospel because although we have always believed in God and considered ourselves to be good people, always striving to do good things, we never really viewed our beliefs and actions in the context of our relationship to God. In other words, there was us and there was God and, there were, and the two were separate existences we would heed God's word, but we didn't necessarily see ourselves as one with God. And then they said this, and I just thought this was profound. They said, we have an ongoing relationship with guilt instead of an ongoing relationship with God. And I think this is the story that so many people are defined by when it comes to God. Um, this story powerfully defines and it shapes people. Um, and the story about how to relate to a God like this, um, it looks like this. It looks like faith plus works equals salvation. Okay, that's generally the, the spiritual equation that people live by. Um, you have to believe and you have to fix yourself and then God will love you. And this story about God brings one thing. It brings uncertainty. When you have this way of thinking about God, you're always uncertain because you never know. Like, will I ever do enough? If God requires works, how much? How often? How perfectly? How faithfully? If I fail, what then? Um, You can never do enough to make up for what you've done. I can never do enough to make up for what I've done. Um, you'll never know when you've done enough. And so this is a bad news story that says you have to fix yourself before God will love you. 
And I, I want you to hear loud and clear this morning, this is not God's story. This is not the God of the Bible. Um, this is not the story that Jesus told. It's not the gospel. Um, this story condemns us. It isolates us both from God and from community because we need to find, usually we end up trying to figure out how to convince the community around us that we have done enough and that causes us not to be honest about what's really going on. Now, in Romans chapter 4, Paul is confronting and correcting this false story by appealing to one of Israel's most famous kings, King David. King David was called the man after God's own heart. And what's exciting for us today is that Paul, the author of Romans, doesn't just give us truth, but he tells us stories that can define us. You know, last week, Paul didn't just describe Abraham's faith, but Paul quoted the story of Abraham. Remember where God made covenant promises to Abraham to love and to bless Abraham? And what was Abraham doing the whole time? He was sleeping, right? He was sleeping. He needed simply to believe in God's promises, to be loved and accepted by God. Well, now, next in Romans 4, Paul quotes a story about King David. And as we understand this story of David's life, we see it's a story about God. And so it's going to be offered up for you so that you could let this story from King David define you. Um, this story offers real happiness. It offers real hope, especially to those who have not fixed themselves. Anybody else with me? I haven't fixed myself enough. <laughs> um, and so this is a powerful story. If you are defined in any way, if you've ever had the, any of the following experiences, or have you ever felt this way? If I don't change, God won't love me. Have you ever felt like if I can't conquer this addiction, God won't love me? Have you ever felt like if I can't stop sinning in this way, God won't love me? And then if God's not happy with me, then I can't ever be happy. Let's read this passage from Romans chapter 4, um, and I want you to listen to it and let it begin. Commit yourself even now. This is a story that was inspired by God, and it's designed to define you. So be ready to receive this as God's word to you today. This is Romans 4, verses 5 through 8. We're going to start with verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So we studied this verse last week. Okay? We saw that God doesn't call us to work for our salvation, but to believe in him and to trust that he will forgive us and accept us because Jesus paid for your sins on the cross. And then Paul goes on in verses 6 through 8 to quote the words of a song that King David wrote and taught the whole nation of Israel to sing. So this whole nation, this is on the top, uh, I could say the top 150 chart because there's 150 Psalms in the Old Testament. Um, but, uh, but the fact that this one got quoted so extensively in Romans shows that I think it might have been even maybe toward the top. Maybe it was in the top 32, I don't know. Um, Romans 4, verses 6 to 8. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those 
whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And so verses 7 and 8 here are lyrics from Psalm 32, written again by King David. And these show David that these show that David agrees with the message that Paul has been preaching about justification and God making people right with him, not because of what they do, but because of what Jesus has done. And so what we see here, the message of David, the message of Paul, is this, that God's blessings and love come not through fixing, but through forgiveness. Okay, this is the bottom line of this passage, that God's blessing and love come not through fixing, but through forgiveness. So David had found the secret, not fixing yourself, but finding your way back into the forgiving and loving arms of God. That's what lifted the burdens off of his life and gave him joy. Joy. In verses 7 and 8, the first word of both those verses is the word blessed. This word means fortunate. It means happy. Okay, it means happy. And so in the Bible, it has this sense of, one dictionary said this, um, the sense of the privileged recipient of divine favor. So the person who's blessed is the privileged recipient of God's favor. Um, One Bible scholar, James Dunn, has written a great commentary on the book of Romans, and he said this. He said, God, out of love, freely forgives the sincerely penitent sinner and restores him to his favor. God, out of love, freely forgives the sincerely penitent sinner And restores him to his favor. (laughs) And so, this idea of being blessed, God wants us to experience a life that is rich in blessing. Okay, now, you have to remember, the person who's writing this is not wealthy. The person who's writing this is not healthy. (laughs) Okay, there are lots of churches, there are radio and TV programs that will try to define this word blessed as meaning you will be financially prosperous. And it's vital for you to understand that the most blessed person in human history was Jesus. And he lived a life of suffering and persecution and torture and died in this life and was raised in the life to come. The author of the book of Romans was a man who was tortured and beaten and ostracized and persecuted and chased after and threatened. Um, It's the Apostle Paul. And so that needs to shape our understanding. So when I say blessed, when I say happy, this doesn't mean financially prosperous. This doesn't mean that your whole life will go well or that everything will work out because we've talked about this before, that God's purpose for your life is not that you would be Like, not that everything would work out, but that you would find joy in demonstrating the life of Jesus, who was strong in his faith in the midst of the most difficult suffering. That's one definition, one biblical definition of being blessed. And when you have this, there is a joy that exists that fills you and overflows from your life into the lives of others. I mean, this is actually genuine and lasting happiness. 
you know, of happiness and blessing were a road that we were driving down. To stay on this road, we continually stop at the gas stations of forgiveness. Okay? Because this passage, verses 7 and 8, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man or woman against whom the Lord will not count his or her sin. So this is the Bible's definition of what it means to be happy. And so forgiveness is part of the good news. Just like Chad said a few minutes ago, forgiveness isn't morosely reviewing your failures. It's an opportunity for rejoicing. Forgiveness is the response of God to your confession. Blessings come to those who are forgiven because the ones that God forgives, God gives to them the righteousness of Jesus. And he does that before they do anything that's good. Now, the rest of Psalm 32, so verses 7 and 8 in Romans 4, quote verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 32. But the rest of Psalm 32 tells a story. It tells a story of David um, and how he experienced this. The rest of the psalm in Psalm 32 invites us to make this reality part of our daily relationship with God. And so as we look at Psalm 32, I want you to ask yourself, have I experienced this? Um, And in what ways have I experienced this? And then lean into this. Lean into this because David is telling the story of his life. uh, And he's inviting us to walk with him and to experience the God that he experienced. In Psalm 32, verse 3, it says this, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So friends, this is a description, a poetic description, of what happens to us when we keep silent about our sin. Okay, when we refuse to confess our sins to God and turn away from them. When we don't own our sin, when we don't leave our sin behind, it weighs on us. You see that? Your hand was heavy upon me. It weighs on us. It exhausts us. It discourages us. We know that God has something against us. It sometimes comes to our minds when we think about God or when we go to God in prayer. Um, I've had this experience. I've talked about this experience um, quite a few times of going to God in prayer where I need something or I just want to talk to God, but I'm keeping silent about one of my sins. I'm keeping silent about something that I'm doing, um, and I just haven't confessed it. Sometimes I don't want to confess it. I'd rather hang on to it for a while or... I want to figure out if there's a way that I can somehow live my life for God and just keep this because I enjoy it. And when I do, when I do, I can feel God speaking through my conscience. Um, And this is what he says. He usually says, Stephen, I love you. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that we're talking. Um, Are we going to deal with this? I mean, are you going to act like this isn't still between us? You're kind of acting like I don't see this. (laughs) You're acting like you don't think I know that this is here. 
you're also acting like you think this is more important than this. Like, what are you doing? In that process, um, I mean, this is one of the ways that God's hand is heavy upon me. When I see that, when I feel that, when I know I'm holding back, when I know I've put something in front of God, when there's something in my life that's more important to me than doing what God wants, even if it's just confessing that what I'm doing is wrong and letting go of it. Sometimes it looks like just losing your joy. Or if bitterness and complaining sort of come up and are sort of top of mind to you, if your reactions are always negative, if you are like prone to complaining, if you're just bitter in your spirit, um, God is saying, you're living apart from me. You're cutting yourself off from me. Like, I'm here, I'm with you, and yet you're building walls. And so my love can't flow into your life. My joy can't flow into you because you're cutting yourself off from me. Have you ever felt like your prayers are really just sort of hitting the ceiling and then stopping? Sometimes our sin causes our prayers to be hindered. Because God's waiting for us to deal with it. And in the process of this, God is saying, look, you're not just cutting yourself off from me. This, is just, this isn't what I designed you for. You're giving up the fight. Like I've made you to be strong enough to wage war here, to fight against the temptation, to struggle against the sin. This is not my will for you. This is bad for you. This is not going to lead you to be happy. It may feel good in the moment to lash out or to act out, to look at something you shouldn't look at, but this is not going to cause you to flourish. This is not ultimately going to make you happy. We say, God bless us. God bless me. Please, Lord, bless my efforts. Bless my job. Bless my relationship. Bless me. And God is like, wait, right now, you don't even want me. Like, right now, you've built this wall, and there's something in between us. And so you're asking me to bless you. I want to give you my presence, but you are, you're running away from me. It's not a relationship if you're going to ignore me and ignore my will and ignore what I've said and ignore and not trust that what I've said is actually best for you. God says, I'm, I'm here, but the best thing that I can do for you right now is have you experience the negative consequences of your sin. I remember um, talking to somebody about the pressures of life and he said something to me. He said, when God's hand is heavy upon us, God is pushing down on us so that we will sink to our knees and pray. It so will wake up. It's, God is trying to bring us to the point of surrender so that we will want to be something that deep in our hearts we know that we actually can't be. Like we'll long to be a person that doesn't live this way, that doesn't cut ourselves off from God, that doesn't ignore God. We long to be that way, and yet if we're honest, we're like, 
I can't get there on my own. God says, when we conclude that, God says, that's it. That's perfect. That's exactly where I want you to be. You can't do this on your own. Verses five and six. This is David being pushed down to his knees. It says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. So verse 5 is so clear. The answer is not to fix ourselves. It's to go to God and confess your sins. It's to go to God and confess that you can't fix yourself. When you do this, God's response to you, to your confession, is forgiveness. It's freedom. God lifts the burden off of your shoulders. And then God's heavy hand, it's transformed. The moment that we surrender and come clean, right? When I kept silent about my sin, your hand weighed heavy on me, right? The moment that we come clean and we admit it, God takes his heavy hand off our shoulders and he then shows us that hand. Comes off our shoulders and he puts it in front of us and his hand is pierced through with the nails, the spikes that held him to the cross. That heavy hand is acting in the same love that sent him to the cross to show you just how much he loves you. His nail-pierced hands show us that the power of his forgiving love is greater than the punishment of our sin. And when we see that, when we see what God has done for us, it melts our hearts. It melts our hearts. The nail-pierced hand of Jesus says, you can't fix yourself, but you don't have to. When you confess your sins, when you finally surrender, Jesus' resurrected but still nail-pierced hand says, I will forever bear on my eternal body these signs that show you that I will never stop loving you. His wounds were on him after his resurrection. His wounds are forever displayed in resurrection glory so that you will know that you are never, ever alone. This is our Savior. Does this story define you? And if it doesn't, this is God's word to you today. 
You can't fix yourself. God doesn't want you to fix yourself. God wants you to come to him and own it. Come to him in humility. Confess your sins to him. And he will forgive you. He will pronounce you forgiven and free. I've been um, reading back over the Harry Potter books, and they get better every time. I'm listening to them now on audio. Um, they have this amazing performance actor who does all the voices. It's, it's awesome. In the seventh book, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, um, Harry and Ron have this falling out because, well, some of it's because of the locket that they're carrying, but they have this falling out, and Ron leaves. He leaves Harry and Hermione, okay? Um, and then he comes back, and so, you know, somehow he gets back, and he gets back because Dumbledore, in his will, bequeathed to Ron this thing called a deluminator. And I'm not going to get deep dive or anything like this, but just stick with me. So Ron got this device that enabled him to make his way back. It would have been impossible without this magic device, but he got his way back to Harry and Hermione. And they're talking as they come back. The three of them are kind of talking about, like, what the heck is Dumbledore thinking? We have no idea what we're doing out here. Um, and Ron speaks up, and this is what he says. He says, sometimes when I'm mad... I thought that Dumbledore gave us the things in his will because he was playing a joke on us. But I don't think so anymore. He knew what he was doing when he gave me the deluminator, didn't he? And then it says this. Ron's ears turned bright red in shame. And he said this. He said, well, he, he must have known I'd run out on you. So Ron was like, this, this magical device that got him back convinced him that Dumbledore knew that Ron was going to bolt, that Ron wasn't strong enough. And he was red in shame. He felt guilty and humiliated because Dumbledore had to give him this thing because he was going to fail. But Harry, then what Harry says is so precious. Harry said this, no, Harry corrected him. He, Dumbledore, must have always known that you'd always want to come back. So Harry turns the shame that Ron feels about leaving and he forgives him. He sees his heart. He sees the sorrow over what he'd done. And this is the gospel. This is the gospel. God is not disappointed in forgiving us. God does not begrudgingly forgive. He forgives with joy because he wants us in relationship with him. And I think friend, we need friends like this, don't we? I mean, we need a savior like this who will take away our shame, um, but we also need these kinds of friends to remind us of God's forgiveness, don't we? Because there's times when Jesus' words are good enough for me, and then there's times when I can't hear them, but I need somebody else to tell me. I need somebody in flesh and blood who knows me, who is willing to tell me things that I think I know are true here, but sometimes don't feel are true here. Um, and this is, what, this is why we have life groups. This is why we have discipleship. This is why we have accountability in our church. It's because we need these kinds of relationships with people who can look at us and say, 
No, what's most important here is that you are willing to confess your sin and not hide it anymore. So this hand of God, after it weighs us down, he then shows us the wounds on his hand. Then that hand comes underneath us and it lifts us up into his presence. Look at verse 7 in Psalm, uh, Psalm 32. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. So first, the psalmist concludes that God is safe. That because God's forgiveness is real, because God's forgiveness includes the psalmist's sins, that God is the place to run when you're in trouble. God is a place to run when you feel guilty, when you feel shame. Because if you don't keep silent about your sin, if you confess it to him, he will receive you and restore you. And verse 8 is David, King David now, addressing the nation of Israel. Um, and I just, I love this. This is the most powerful leader in the nation of Israel, and this is what he's teaching the nation. He's teaching the nation that I'm a failure, that I'm not perfect, um, that I struggle with sin, that my weakness is ever before me, that I'm not what I should be. And when I don't own that stuff, my life gets worse. But when I confess it to God, he forgives. And if God can do that for the king, he will surely do that for you. We need leaders like this. We need leaders who don't get defensive, leaders who don't make excuses, leaders who are willing to tell the truth and own the truth. Uh, we need those in our church. We need these kinds of leaders in every aspect of our church's ministry because we want to be a church that's full of people like this, right? Where none of us are acting like we're better than anybody because none of us are better than anyone. We are people forgiven by God that God is working in. And so God inspired David, though, to teach his experience to the whole nation of Israel because God wants all of us to know that this is the path to happiness. It's backwards, right? In most other places, you've got to like hide your stuff. You've got to hide your junk. You've got to keep it away. You've got to keep it underneath. But with God, God says, bring it to me because if you don't bring it to me, it can never actually be forgiven. And so you can hide it. You can put it somewhere, you can hide it, you can not talk about it, you can hope nobody finds out about it, but you'll know it's there. Or you can own it, you can confess it, and I will bury it deeper than the deepest ocean. I will remove it as far as east is from west. So verse 10 goes on to say, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Don't live in your sin. Don't live in it. Don't hide it. Don't keep silent about it um, because the guilt and the shame will weigh you down. Instead, choose to live in God's love and forgiveness and acceptance. 
And then the psalm ends with verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. I love this because David is saying, you know who the righteous are? They're not the perfect. They're the people who've just confessed their sins, right? So guess what? If you want to be righteous, this is how you do it. Own your sin. Don't keep silent about it. Confess it to God and let him forgive you. And guess what? He will cover you with the righteousness of Jesus. When this story defines us, we become truly happy, no matter what is going on in our lives. Because we know that we're part of what God is doing in the world to make it better, to renew it. Where even just the, sometimes the only thing that we have going for us is that we're honest about the fact that we have nothing going for us. And that's proof that God's spirit is at work in you. So, sorry, right. so just three quick points of application and then we'll be done. These are, these are gonna be fast. Application first. Oh, we're gonna give you all three of them right now so you can look ahead and you can write them all down. Because <laughs> I didn't do my slides right. <clears throat> so first, Humility and happiness. Humility and happiness. Okay, these things go hand in hand. Humility and happiness. Humility because we need to be forgiven. Never forget that, right? If you need to be forgiven, then you are not better than anyone else. So humility because we need to be forgiven. Happiness because we are forgiven. Oh, glorious news. Humility and happiness. Um, I mean, the worst, the worst thing about white supremacy is that it takes the power that human beings can have and it uses that power to abuse others. It uses that power to serve itself and there is nothing more contrary to the heart of God than that. Because God is a God who has all power. And God has demonstrated to us that he uses all of his power to serve others. All of the power of Jesus was exercised on earth as he gave his life as a ransom for many. And so humility is absolutely essential. And it's the reality if you live into this story, if this story is what defines you. You have nowhere to go but humble. And you have nowhere to go but happy because God has forgiven you and he loves you. Second, change comes second. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, change does happen. Some people freak out like, oh man, if you talk about forgiveness too much, people are just going to do whatever they want and they're going to be like, they'll live however they want. And they'll just be like, oh, I'm forgiven. It's no big deal. Um, we're going to talk about this more in the rest of this series, but um, if we don't preach this kind of forgiving grace, then you won't know who God is. And actually the only thing, the only thing that can pull you through the blindness and the sinfulness of your heart that asks the question, can I get away with this and God still love me? The only thing that can pull you through that and get you out of that blindness 
is the amazing grace and love of Jesus. It's looking him in the eye, seeing his nail-pierced hands, knowing that your sin drove the nails through his hands. Oh, man, like that. We need that. We need the gospel preached of Christ's work for us. Um, and change comes second. Jesus does work in us. He does work through us to make us new from the inside out. And we do work with him. But all of our change, all of our fixing comes after we're forgiven. It comes after we've established a relationship with God so that we never have to wonder if God loves us or not. And so change, it comes, it comes second. Um, the couple that I met with um, said this other thing. They said, our meeting um, has it touched us so much because we see a path forward in our lives where we can continue to live by the principles of God, but now in a way that's more connected to him, that's more cognizant of him and more genuine, honest and at peace in who we are as imperfect people. They got the gospel. They got the gospel. They realized the gospel changes everything about how we see our obedience, that it's not a relationship with guilt, right? It's not a relationship with guilt. It's not faith plus works equals salvation because if that were true, then God is frightening. And God is frightening. But what the gospel says is this. Gospel says faith equals salvation plus works. The change comes second. And in this way, God is Father. God is Father. So I'm going to give you more quote from, from this couple. It was just such an amazing experience of the gospel. They said this. They said, this is a new paradigm of sorts for both of us but it's one that we welcome so much because it gives us a clear path of growing as parents and as individuals and deepening our own relationship. We see this as a blessing that gives us both excitement and peace. I believe, but from what you're saying, I want more. We want more, more of God, more of community, more and deeper. I went to church all my life, but in the church I grew up with, it's more formal. There isn't a close community of people. But here at Harbor, it feels like family. The closeness and the warmth of the people is huge. This couple's looking to adopt, and so they said this. They said, we had all kinds of reasons for wanting a child before, but I'm seeing now just how much a relationship with God will affect us as parents. Like, we had no idea that the good news of God would affect the way that we parent our children. But now we want to nurture a new life so that our child would know the unconditional love that God has shown to us. Man. I have begrudged this process and all the hoops that we've had to go through in the process of adopting. But now, listen to this, I am humbled to see that God had a purpose in it. He wanted to lead us here to this church, and I am embracing his plan for us. Oh man, how many of you, like me, need God to sort of peel back the curtain and show us what the heck he's doing, right? Like, we don't know what's going on, but like we need stories like this where someone goes, oh, I finally see that God was leading us to this moment where he could show us more of himself and bring us into a deeper experience of our relationship with him. This is true. This is what God is doing for all of us, 
for you, no matter what your situation is, that's what God is doing. Hold on. Don't let go. It's coming. It's coming. I told him, look, you wanted a child, but God wanted to make sure that you both are his children. Man, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. And so the last piece here, we can go back to the slide with the three application points. The last thing for us is just, let's go live on mission. Man, as you experience God's forgiveness and his love, as you're confronted with the reality that, man, God is father, he's not frightening. And what could you share with others about Jesus? Like, what have you experienced in your life? And what could you share with the people in your life, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, your family members who don't know Jesus? Like, what could you share with them that would help them get closer to experiencing this kind of blessing from God? Let's pray that God would show us and open doors for us to speak this week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for changing our view of you radically. Jesus, thank you for being the visible expression of the invisible God, that we can look to you and see who God is. Thank you for forgiveness. It is a scary thing for us to come clean. It's a scary thing for us to own and to confess our sins because we're afraid of what you might do. So thank you for these promises. Thank you for this story from the leader of Israel, from the king himself. Oh Jesus, even now, would you please lead us to confess our sins to you? Anything that we are hiding from you, anything that we are not being honest about, Jesus, would you bring it now into the light and move us now to confess it to you. Jesus, we are sinful people and we double our sins by hiding them. Forgive us and lead us by your love, your forgiving love into the light. And I pray, Jesus, that for those who are here who don't know you, they would find because of this that you are good and sweet and kind. Move them to bow their knee to you and find forgiveness today. We pray all of this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.